0: it's not about you some of you may remember rick warren's purpose driven life that was the first line of it and he went on to say it's not about your own personal fulfillment it's not about your peace of mind and it's not even about your happiness he wrote that book in 2002 and who knew it would sell 32 million copies a book that goes completely against the green of our individualistic it is all about me and how can I get ahead culture he was writing about life in the kingdom that we've been talking about all summer here in church the kingdom that Jesus was and is ushering in the kingdom that is unshakable because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever so the Pharisees are seated around the table with Jesus in Luke's gospel this morning, and they are watching Jesus carefully. Everything that he's doing and saying is shaking up their world. He's eating with sinners. He's healing on the Sabbath, not to mention calling them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. They are watching Jesus, and they're hoping to catch him, hoping to catch him in some unforgivable breach of the law. Well, they are watching Jesus, and Jesus is also watching them as they're elbowing each other to get to their places of honor at the dinner table. And he says in a voice just loud enough to be heard by them as they're settling down, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, immediate grumbling. Jesus, you don't get it. Social status is important to our business, our finances, our social life, the future of our children. It is all about us and what we need to do to advance ourselves. And it wasn't just about all the Jews trying to make themselves look good before God and man. The entire Greco-Roman world and culture was built on this honor-shame system of belonging to the right group, improving your lot in life. Getting recognized as someone important. Humility was not a virtue. Nothing could be more shameful than to be told, you don't belong there in that seat, so leave and go take a lower seat. It's not about you. Well, Jesus, who else is going to look after my interests? Whether it be at work or school or at an important wedding or even in church, We like to know where we stand. We like to know how we're doing. We want to know how we measure up and who can help us move up higher. And more often than not, we get that information by comparing ourselves to other people. It all reminds me a little bit of middle school or junior high, as it was called in my day, after the carefree pleasures of childhood, junior high was a dangerous, dark land where suddenly your greatest worry was what your classmates thought of you and whether you had on the right clothes. And how, did you get, how do you get invited to belong to the right group? So it was in junior high when I looked in the mirror and didn't like what I saw. And so I began to calculate how I could make myself feel good in this strange, new, theological climate of comparative righteousness. In any situation, I would always seek out the kids that looked worse off than I felt and who were not being sought out or admired. Those kids that made me look good. I was always making friends with and inviting home people from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm pretty sure my parents Noticed and maybe marveled at my humility and my graciousness, (laughs) even as they wished I would hang out with my own type of people. Little did they know it was not grace, but self-protection at work in me, that it was so I could feel better about myself in the presence of those who were bigger losers than I thought I was. That's middle school. Now I've got to issue a disclaimer because if you're a friend of mine today, lest you think it is only because I think I look great compared to you. (laughs) I am no longer in middle school. I have graduated. I no longer live under the pole of it's all about me or you or what you think of me and how I can think better about myself. And that is because I met the God who turns upside down our notions of how we see ourselves and others. The God whose word shows us that it is not about us and what we need to do to survive in this world. It is all about him and what he has done to save us and make us fit for his kingdom. And amazingly, this God is the consummate host who has invited all of us to his wedding feast. There are no place settings for the rich and famous. There are no lower tables for the less important. He issues his invitation not based on our good looks or our good intentions. He issues his invitations not based on our family connections, not on any of the other standards that we use to measure our worth. And unlike us, I'm telling the truth here, With God, there is no expectation of payback, unlike us. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. We say, now, if they invite me to dinner, I'll have to reciprocate how hard it is for us not to try to pay people back. How it goes against the grain. To be the recipient of a gift that has no strings attached. There are a lot of us in the body of Christ who can hardly stand to be given something that we can't pay back. Who may be very big givers, but who are very bad receivers. Who can't bear to feel beholden to someone. And in how many subtle but crushing ways do we have the same attitude towards God? God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. And God, if I do this, will you do that? So here's a question, not for the faint of heart. Consider your own life. And is your own giving a free gift? No strings attached? Or is it a bribe to gain favor with someone or to pay back? With God, there can be no strings attached because we have no strings to pull. Nothing we can do to make him love us or to make him love us more or to give us what we want. In fact, the Apostle John says the very fact that we can love it all is because he first loved us. He sent his son to save us before we even knew we needed saving. And the Apostle Paul says, while we were powerless, God does not see our accomplishments. He sees our need. And although we are all unable to approach him on our own merits, because no one is righteous, says scripture, no, not one, us with our divided hearts and our self-interest. Some of you today in this room need to know that God is not a stern taskmaster. He's not demanding that we shape up and prove ourselves. Instead, God has made a way for us to approach him and to be received by him and to be healed and to be set free. The way, the truth, and the life is what he calls himself. And his name, as you well know, is Jesus. He left the Godhead. He emptied himself to become human. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He humbled himself to the point of death He took the form of a servant. He took the punishment he did not deserve, all in order to inaugurate the kingdom, the unshakable kingdom of love. His entire character is this radical act of love that levels the playing field, puts Emily Post out of business, frees us from the necessity of proving ourselves. Friend, come up higher, says the wedding host. This is life in the unshakable kingdom in the midst of ever-changing political drama and now weather drama, in the rise and fall of kingdoms and reputations where one minute you're in the spotlight and the next minute you've lost your standing, where you can destroy someone's reputation on Facebook, where a misspoken word or a youthful indiscretion can pull the rug out from under your feet, and where there is rarely forgiveness for messing up. In the midst of all of this, God says, with the sacrifice of his son on the cross, friend, come up higher. I made you for myself. It is not about you. It is all about me and the life I created for you, redeemed you. I give you the Holy Spirit to show my glory. Even in the midst of your own shaking and quaking life, your misfortunes and your upheavals and your suffering, I will make you the demonstration of my unshakable kingdom, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why would we look anywhere else for the acceptance and respect that we crave when Jesus says to you and me the very vow that couples make to each other when they get married up here, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you with all that I am and all that I have, says Jesus. I honor you. But Jesus does not simply leave us relieved of our strivings because he goes on to say in Luke's gospel that on the last day, there's a badge of honor which God will bestow on those who treat people the same way God has treated us. Jesus never says, if you're a really good prayer, I've got some stars for your crown. Or if you tithe, or if you read your Bible every day, come on up to the better seat. No, he says, I'm watching you carefully to see how you love one another, to see how you treat one another. Because they will know you are Christians by your love. When you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who are in prison, all of which you were before I saved you, and you use your good china, and you don't skimp on the helpings with even the least of these, and you expect nothing in return because they have nothing to give you, then, says God, you experience my love that passes understanding, my blessing, and my joy. What does that look like for us right here today? Well, at St. James, it looks like the ministries that we have to the homeless and the down-and-out and and the hungry. It also looks like two amazing funerals that we've had here in the last ten days and the testimonies of people Ann King and Fred Wickman loved and whose lives they touched. And it looks like all the people of St. James who have gathered around their families to pray and support them. It looks like the divine appointments that each of us are given by God from time to time to offer compassion and mercy to someone in need. It looks like when you offer grace to that person God has put in your life who is so hard to love. It looks like us offering hospitality and forgiveness and mercy with no expectation of return. It's plain and simple. We know God as unconditional love, and we experience him as we love unconditionally. Rick Warren said it's not all about you and your need to look good and be accepted by your neighbors. But in the end, brothers and sisters, it really is all about you. It's about God inviting you to become the person he created you to be. It's about you saying yes to him. God providing for all your needs. You saying, thank you, Lord. God who sees you as the apple of his eye. We sang about it last week in here when we sang, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Father, like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Alleluia, alleluia. Widely yet, his mercy flows. God says, friend, come up higher. He honors us by making our hearts his abiding place. He sends us out to share his glory. And widely yet his mercy flows. Widely yet his mercy flows. Amen.